you would, turn your Bibles tonight to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Paul says, therefore, everybody say therefore, Therefore. my beloved, I love that. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Let's pause there for right now. And Lord, as we consider your word tonight, we pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would minister to our hearts, that you would speak to us. Lord, I thank you for every single person in this room this evening that's gathered here, for those that are, are watching and joining us online. Lord, Lord, right now, we just want to open ourselves up to your spirit. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> to your spirit to be able to minister to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I felt that coming on. You ever do that? <laughs> it's like, not during prayer. Um, all right. Therefore, Paul says, and whenever you see that phrase or that word, therefore, Pastor Chuck used to always say, you need to explain what it's there for. And um, so whenever Paul or whenever the, the Bible mentions and uses the word therefore, it's always looking back. And so Paul here is looking back to where this conversation began, which was in chapter 1, verse 27, where Paul says, let your conduct, and we've noted that that word, that phrase conduct, is speaking of our manner of life, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. And the idea being that, that your life would weigh as much as the gospel message. And then as we moved into chapter 2 last week, we saw that Paul explained to us what that would look like. That it would look like a, a manner of life where we're esteeming, valuing each other is more important than ourselves. And he gave us the ultimate picture of that in verse 5, the ultimate example when he said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And that word let means that it's a choice. It's a choice that we make. So the goal, that's the goal. That's the target. Let that mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let your manner of life be worthy, weigh as much of the gospel. That, that's the goal. That's the target. And it's important that we realize that because in the Christian life, we need to know what we're shooting at, right? We need to know what we're running towards. But the temptation, I think, for a lot of us would be to say, well, there's no way that I can be like Jesus. There's just no way that I can do that. And that's why what Paul says here in verses 12 and 13 is so important. And I just want to say this, that walking with God doesn't have to be as hard as we make it sometimes. And here in chapter 2, Paul gives us some practical insights in how to obey that exhortation. And I want to note tonight as we go through the end of this chapter, five insights that, that I would say that these are insights in how to be growing spiritually. If you're taking notes, number one is you have to cooperate with 
God. Notice that phrase again. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. One day there was a man who went to his doctor, and he was concerned about his diminishing level of energy. He said, you know, Doc, I'm just not able to do the things around the house that that I used to be able to do. And so when the examination was complete, he said to the doctor, okay, give it to me straight in plain language. Tell me what's wrong with me. And the doctor said, okay, in plain language, you're lazy. (laughs) And the man said, okay, great. Now give me a medical term that I can share with my wife (laughs) for that that definition. Well, listen, when it comes to spiritual growth as a Christian, one thing you can't be is lazy. Spiritual growth takes effort. But the cool thing is that God meets our effort with his power. And so what we're given here in verses 12 and 13 is what I would call a spiritual growth formula. And this is the formula. I think it'll be on the screen. Divine operation plus human cooperation equals spiritual growth. Let me say that again. Divine operation plus human cooperation equals spiritual growth. Now, notice that Paul is not saying to work for your salvation. It's not what he's saying. Or to work toward your salvation, or even to work at it, because salvation, we know, is a gift from God. And it's based on the finished work of Jesus Christ and the work that he did upon the cross. And remember, Paul's writing here to Christians. He's identified them already that way. We saw in chapter 1, he refers to them as saints. So these are people who are already saved. They, they already have salvation, like I would say probably most of us here tonight. So Paul is not saying work for your salvation because you can't, but he's saying work out your salvation. And think of it this way. Salvation is like a muscle, and we are to work it to work it out, to develop it, to let it grow. In the same way that all of us, we are physically born with muscles. My little four-year-old grandson, he's four, but he's got some muscles. He's a strong little guy. We, we are born with those muscles. But we have to work them out. And that's why there's some people who are stronger than others because they've worked out their muscles. I remember seeing years ago a talk show host. He was interviewing some of those big muscle guys, you know, the bodybuilder types. And, and, and they were there, you know, and just all yoked and just, you know, these big burly guys. And he goes, so, so what do you do with all those muscles? And the guy goes. <laughs> he's like, yeah, but what do you do with all those muscles? And he's like, you know. <laughs> Well, listen, when it comes to our spiritual muscles, our spiritual muscles are not for show. They are for go, okay? They are to be used. God wants us to use them. And so he wants us to work them out, to put them to work. And it's interesting, the phrase work out is one word in the Greek. It's the word katargazamo. And it's a word that was used that would describe working a mine. I think that's a good picture. Digging, exploring, 
Well, so let's pretend a distant relative leaves you some gold, a gold mine in Alaska. Signs the deed over to you and says, hey, this is yours. I have a friend who they own a gold mine in uh, Alaska, and there's actually gold in that, that mine. And they, they've been for years, they've been mining it, working it. So you have this gold mine. It's yours. You own it. But you have to go in and work it out. That's the idea with this statement. And it's really a good picture because the word salvation, catch this, encompasses more than just being saved from our sins. We usually just stop right there, right? We think, hey, it's wonderful. I'm saved. I'm not going to hell. Yay! That's what we think of salvation. But the word salvation encompasses so much more. It includes all the blessings and benefits of being a child of God. It includes all the resources that are suddenly at your disposal as a child of God. It involves discovering and understanding what it means that your identity is now in Christ. And so when Paul says to work out your salvation, he's saying to work it like a mind. Dig in. Explore it to discover all that is yours in Christ and work it like a muscle that you can grow stronger in your faith and in your walk with Jesus. And he says here, to do it, work it out with fear and trembling. That, that idea there is, it's, we can put some of this, take your spiritual growth seriously. That's what it means. But note, spiritual growth is not entirely up to us and our effort. You see, verse 13 is key. Again, notice, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And together, these two verses give us this right combination for growth. They give us this spiritual growth formula that divine energy plus human effort equals spiritual growth or divine operation plus human cooperation leads to maturity. You see, from the moment we get saved, God is working in you. When Paul says that God works in you, the word he uses there is energizes. God is energizing you, and I want you to notice how he's doing that, how he's energizing you. It starts with your will. He says to will and to do for his good pleasure. It starts with the will. The idea of the will is the desire. So the Holy Spirit starts working on our desires. He places within us a desire to draw near to God. In fact, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, it says this, And because you are sons, and we could put, and daughters, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, and He's crying out, Abba, Father. This is such a beautiful picture. God has placed His Spirit inside of you. And His Spirit inside of you, every single day, is crying out, Abba, Father. The word Abba means Daddy. It's a picture of intimacy. So you and I, we have this built-in longing inside of us because of God's Spirit inside of us for intimacy with God. That's part of the will, the desire that He's creating in us, this, this desire, this hunger, this pull toward God. When you wake up in the morning and think, you know what, I should read my Bible today, that's not because some pastor or leader or whatever told you you should do that. It's, it's the Holy Spirit. 
inside of you that's seeking to draw you into that relationship and intimacy with God. So it starts with, with our desire, our will, to will. Seeking to, he's seeking to grow and work within us a spiritual appetite. And here's what's interesting about, about a spiritual appetite. When we eat physically, we get full. But you know what happens when you eat spiritually? You get more hungry. You get more hungry. You want more. And so he's working in us, seeking to, to build within us that appetite. But we have to be intentional about seeking God and responding to that desire that he's putting inside of us. And here's what happens. When we move in that direction, God meets us with his power. And when we do that, here's what happens. God words, God's word moves from being a theory in our lives to a reality. It moves from being a promise heard to a promise discovered and experienced. So God is working in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So how do we grow spiritually? Number one, you cooperate with God. Number two, you need to have the right attitude. Look at verse 14. He says, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Living a life worthy of the gospel in the midst of what Paul describes here as a crooked and perverse generation, that's how Paul described his generation. I think that's a good description of our generation, right? A crooked and perverse generation living a life worthy of the gospel in such a culture can be hard because there's opposition, there's trials. Life itself can just be hard, but don't forget this. Life might be hard, but God is good. So do it without complaining and without disputing. How do we live a life that is worthy of the gospel? By being different. By being known for what we are for instead of what we are against. You know, our world is full of complainers. Our world is full of people that have critical spirits. But you know what makes us shine? Is lights in the midst of that darkness is when we're different. When we're looking at things differently. How many of you ever heard of uh, Bob Goff? Familiar with Bob Goff? He's a guy that I love because he models this better than anybody that I know. He is just this guy that is just so full of joy. I don't think complaining is a part of his vocabulary. I mean, he just always looks for the the best thing in a person or the best thing in a situation. And the reason is he lives with such a firm confidence in the sovereignty of God. And then it's the reality that, hey, God has got this and I trust him. My trust is in him. So number two, it's having the right attitude of knowing, why am I here? I'm here to shine his lights in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation. And if we're going to do that, we can't be always grumbling and complaining and disputing. Number three, you need to keep the main thing the main thing. Look at verse 16. Holding fast to the word of life, 
so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or have labored in vain. Paul says, I want you guys to be holding fast so that my ministry isn't in vain, that you guys are holding the course. The word hold fast means to to grip something and hold it firmly or tightly. It's the idea of knowing what you believe and why you believe it. That's the picture. Knowing what you believe and why you believe it and not deviating from it. It's it's knowing, holding fast to the truth. However, another way that this verse gets translated, and I actually like this, this translation, this description, is holding forth the word of life. The idea is holding forth the word of life. You're, in other words, you're representing the gospel. You're holding forth the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done to the world. You're living it. You're declaring it. You're holding it forth. It's holding forth the idea that there is hope for this world and his name is Jesus. And I think that really fits well with the big idea of verse 27 of chapter 1, living your life in a a manner of life that is worthy of the gospel. That your life, in other words, your lifestyle is kind of like a banner that is being held forth declaring who Jesus is and the glory and the beauty of the gospel message and think about this you know our world has told a generation of young people you young people over here our world says to you that you have come from nothing that you are nothing and you are going nowhere that so often is the message that the world puts out And so it shouldn't surprise us when we see young people living that way, hooking up and living reckless and living for the moment and living with no direction because that's the way the people live who buy into the message that we have come from nothing, we are nothing, and we're going nowhere. There's no hope. But the gospel says, no, that's not it at all. The gospel says you have been created on purpose and for a purpose, and that purpose is to know God and to live for him and to find your purpose in a relationship with him. And God has blessed you, and he's given you gifts, and he's given you talents, and he's given you abilities that he wants you to use those to impact your world. And so we are to hold forth that message to the world around us, the hope and the purpose that is found in knowing God, and that comes through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's our third insight for spiritual growth, is holding fast to the truth, or holding forth the truth of the gospel. Number four, you need to be all in. And here's where Paul gives an interesting analogy in verse 17. He says, yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Now, a drink offering was symbolic in that culture of being all in, of being poured out. It's the idea of I'm all in, and so I'm being completely poured out. But the drink offering 
in Israel was associated with their worship. In fact, one of the offerings in their worship system that they would give was the drink offering. And so these two ideas combine to form the wonderful picture of the believer in Jesus And what we are to really be all about is that we come to God on a daily basis and say, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm all in as part of my worship to you. I'm giving you myself. I'm giving you my heart. It's similar to what Paul would write in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, when he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And he says, this is your true and proper worship. Think about that. You give yourself to God as a living sacrifice. This is your true and proper worship. That every single day our lives have an opportunity to be a worship song for Jesus. I love that. Now, I can't sing. I've had people tell me that. I've said, have you ever heard this song? And I started singing it to one of my friends, and he said, not like that. (laughs) So I don't have that gift that some of the others that are up here on the platform have. But hey, my life, your life can be a worship song to Jesus. That he takes pleasure in. It doesn't matter how we sound. It's how we live. And our lives can be a worship song to Jesus if we realize, Jesus, I exist for you. So pour me out today. But listen, in order to be poured out, you first have to be poured in too. So it's daily coming to the Lord and saying, God, fill me afresh today with your spirit. Lord, as I spend time today in in the Word and in prayer, Lord, fill me up so that you then can pour me out. And I want to ask you this question. Imagine, imagine if all of us started saying, Lord, every day, fill me afresh with your Spirit so you can pour me out. Lord, as I'm getting into your word right now, just fill me, God, with your presence in your heart so that you can pour me out. If we prayed that every single day, imagine the opportunities we would have to hold forth the gospel. Imagine the opportunities that we would have to live in a manner of life that was worthy of the gospel. Imagine the impact that we could make on our spheres of influence. So church, I want to say tonight, let's make a pact together to respond to how God is working in us right now to will and to do for his good pleasure by saying, Lord, starting tomorrow, fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. Starting tomorrow, Lord, I'm going to get into your word. And even if it's just like 15 minutes, just whatever time you have to say, God, I want to get into your word so that your word gets into me. And then every day that we would say to Jesus, Lord, pour us out as a drink offering to you. I think if we did that, God would blow our minds. And he would impact our spheres of influence in a way that would just be incredible. So number four, being all in. The picture of the drink offering. Number five, part of our spiritual growth is do it with others and not alone. You know, working out is always better when you do it with someone else. 
you've ever been involved in working out, you know that to be true. It's great when you have somebody who can encourage you and be like, come on, just one more when you want to give up. Or on those days when you just don't feel like going to the gym, which is for me almost every day, when, when you don't feel like going, that you know that other person's going to be there, and so you show up, right? We know that's true in, in physically in life as it relates to working out, but it's also true spiritually. And in verses 19 through 30, Paul is going to mention two guys that were his partners in ministry, and in these verses we'll pinpoint three traits that made them good partners. And these three traits need to be in the lives of those that we are seeking would run with us toward Jesus. Let's look at verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself may also come shortly." Yet I have considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice and that I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem. Because the, for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Three things that Paul points out about these two guys, and then we're going to wrap this up. Number one, they were reliable. These were two guys that were willing to travel long distances to come to the aid of the Apostle Paul and to minister to the churches. They were guys who were willing to go the extra mile. The journey from Rome to Philippi was over 800 miles. And they did this walking and going on boats They traveled over rough terrain. It would take approximately six weeks for them to make this journey. Now, Timothy was one that Paul often sent to various places. It was Timothy that Paul sent from Athens to Thessalonica. We read about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. He also sent uh, Timothy from Ephesus to Corinth. He had sent Ephes- he sent Timothy from Ephesus to Macedonia in Acts chapter 19, and now he's sending him again to go on this errand, to go and represent him to the people there in Philippi that he would travel there from Rome. And you know what? It takes somebody reliable to pull that off. And there's a principle in this, and the principle is the more reliable that you are, the more value, valuable you become. And the more faithful, that faithfulness actually leads to fruitfulness. Faithfulness will open doors for more fruitfulness. And the more faithful that you are, as you just stay in it and you stay the course and you keep going, the more fruitful you will become. And we see this with 
with Timothy because Paul would eventually appoint him to be the pastor of the church in Ephesus that Paul had pastored for three years. Now, Epaphroditus, though, was also very reliable. Notice the titles that Paul gives him there in verse 25. He calls him brother, his fellow worker, his fellow soldier, but he says, but your messenger. The word messenger means ambassador. And we read in chapter 4 that when the church was sending a financial offering to Paul to help support him in his ministry, and in those days, you know, they didn't have wire transfers, They didn't have bank transfers. They didn't have Venmo. The way that they would have to send an offering is they would have to carry it. They'd have to find somebody who would travel and make that journey. And it was a dangerous journey. It was a journey that would be the, there would be the possibility of getting robbed by robbers. And, and so they needed a reliable person to do that. And Epaphroditus was the one who was chosen. And he was sent to serve Paul personally and to serve alongside of him. And notice that Paul says that he was the one who ministered to his needs. So first of all, good friends that are going to help you grow are reliable. Number two, they're compatible. Verse 20, Paul says this about Timothy. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ. You know, one of the best compliments that Paul could give about Timothy was that he was like-minded. So Paul was saying, look, if I can't come, I'm sending him, and he, he's the next best thing. He's just like me. In fact, that phrase like-minded, this is the only time it appears, appears in the New Testament. And in the Greek, the word for like-minded literally means equal-souled. His soul is just like mine. Paul defines what made Timothy like-minded when he says, everyone else is seeking their own and not the things of Christ. Timothy was a guy that put Jesus first. And you need to have friends who are going in the same direction as you. You need to have friends that, that you are, are compatible with you, that you are running together and you're running towards Jesus. Now we also see that Epaphroditus was compatible to Paul as well. Paul shared his heart and burden for the people of God. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul spoke of the burden that he carried in ministering to the churches. That he said this, he called it his daily pressure and the deep concern that he carried for the, the people of God and the churches. Like It weighed heavy upon him, in other words. Another place he spoke of being burdened beyond measure. The idea that the weight that he carried in seeking to minister to the people of God, it weighed heavy upon him. Paul had a true pastor's heart, and so did Epaphroditus. Notice verse 26. Paul says this, Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. And then in verse 30, he says, Because the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your faith. These guys were compatible. They had that same heart. And the third thing we see in them is that they were durable. We learn from Paul's other writings about Timothy that Timothy was timid. Timothy was younger, and he, he let his youth just kind of get in his way. And, and, and Paul had to tell him, hey, let no one despise your youth. You've been called. 
He's got a calling on your life. And Paul would say to him, God has not given you a spirit of fear, Timothy, but of power and love and a sound mind. And Timothy was able to overcome that timidness and become a man that was used mightily of the Lord. Epaphroditus was also durable. He overcame sickness unto death. Paul refers to him here as a soldier. And Paul would say this to Timothy. He said in 2 Timothy 2, You therefore endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, because no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. This verse is key, I think. As to why Epaphroditus and Timothy were so durable is they were serving to please the one who had enlisted them. And that was Jesus. And this is really a key. We're not serving men. We're not serving for pats on the back, but we are serving Jesus. And you know, Jesus is the most durable servant of all. And he's the one that we are told that he despised the shame, and for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And he carried the cross, that cross that weighed like 200 pounds, he carried it up the Via Della Rosa, no less than 650 yards, so six and a half football fields, he carried that cross. But more than carrying that cross, he carried the weight of all of our sins. But he did that because he loved us. And so we see that Paul lays before us these insights into growing spiritually. That spiritual growth, what it, what it looks like for us to cooperate with God. It's going to take some effort on our part, but God meets that effort with his divine power. He works within us to will and to do. And as we join with other people that are running in that same direction, growth is going to happen in our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this picture that we're given here tonight in Philippians 2. And Father, I pray that you would just minister to our hearts now as we spend some time in these groups and spend some time in in discussion. Lord, I pray that you would just bless these conversations in Jesus' name. Amen.